when the name of your restaurant comes up in conversation? What do you want people to say about it? Or how do you want someone in your town to describe your restaurant to someone who's never been there before? Hey, it's Peter Harmon, the food guru here with your weekly pep talk. My goal is to help you build a better restaurant and live the life of your dreams. Today is Monday, April 17th. This is episode number 226 of Build a Better Restaurant podcast. It's called Brands and Brand Identity. Today's pep talk is brought to you by Six Sales Pillars. I recorded an audio book. It's called Six Sales Pillars. This book will help you increase your sales by 10% twice in the next 90 days. See, there really are only six ways to increase sales in your restaurant, and here they are. Number one, keep the customers we have. Number two, bring in new customers. Number three is sell more to each customer each time they visit. And number four is to get them to visit more often. And way number five is to 86 the wrong customers. And the sixth way to increase sales in your restaurant is to raise prices. Now, when they're used effectively, each of these six sales pillars have the potential to increase your sales by at least 10%. But when they're used together as part of an overall sales strategy, they have a compounding effect. And if you use all six of these sales pillars, you can see a 60% sales increase. It's true. This is what I do and this is what I help my clients do. And if you want to increase sales in your restaurant, this book will help you. Just go to Audible and search Peter Harmon's Six Sales Pillars and start listening today. Okay, now today I want to talk about brands and branding. This is a very complicated subject, so I'm going to break it into three parts. First, we're going to discuss what branding is. Second, we're going to discuss branding gone wrong. And third, how great branding works. All right, let's start with thing number one, what branding is. Now, I want to use the cereal aisle as an example of what branding is. The next time you're in a grocery store, go look at the cereal aisle and see what's going on because it's an excellent example of how the smartest brands in the world use branding to sell their products. So in the cereal aisle, we have Frosted Flakes, Fruity Pebbles, Rice Krispies, Cocoa Krispies, Lucky Charms, and Captain Crunch. These brands are mostly for children. Think about it. Three-year-old kids who can't even read automatically go right to the cereal they want. I mean, how could this happen? These are little tiny kids. See, it happens because of great branding and marketing. That's how. Okay, next, we have Cheerios, Raisin Bran, and Corn Flakes. Now, these are more for adults. But let's take a look at Corn Flakes, which is the ubiquitous cereal. It's been around forever. The Corn Flakes box has a rooster on it, and it tells us to get up early, like a rooster, and eat Corn Flakes. Now, right next to Corn Flakes, on one side, we have Special K, which is basically Corn Flakes with a little tweak, and then it's targeted at women who care about their weight. Now, on the other side of Corn Flakes, we have Wheaties, which is basically Corn Flakes with another little tweak. It's the breakfast of champions with a picture of a world-class athlete on the cover. You know, somebody like Michael Jordan or Michael Phelps. Wheaties is aimed at athletes and people who want to win. The message is, eat Wheaties and win. Don't forget to eat your Wheaties. Now, this same phenomenon is played out in the soft drink aisle, and the toothpaste aisle, 
in the laundry detergent aisle. Check it out. You might just learn something that will help you become better at brand messaging. All right, now let's move on to thing number two, branding gone wrong. Branding is a very complicated subject, like I just said, but to help you understand complicated things, I like to show you the opposite of the thing, or in this case, the opposite of good branding, so you understand what good branding is not. All right, let's take a look. It'll be fun. All right, let's return to the cereal aisle. What if the cereal boxes were dirty or smeared with grease or broken or torn? Or what if the boxes were damaged? Or what if they had been previously opened and they were taped with clear packing tape to reseal? Would you buy that box? Take it home to feed your kids? Now, what if the box was fine, but the printing on the outside was smeared? Or the printer was kind of low on ink when they were running the boxes, and the logo got streaked, or it was discolored? Would that change your opinion on the brand? All right, now, let's go from the cereal aisle to the bread aisle. In the bread aisle... We see Wonder Bread and Pepperidge Farm and Sara Lee and Nature's Own and Walmart's Great Value. Each of these brands make a similar product, sliced bread, but they have distinctive packaging and logos and colors and fonts and slogans and different placement on the shelves. Shelf placement is very important. The brands pay a premium to the store for that premium space on the shelf, especially premium placement at eye level or on an end cap. Now, in the bread aisle, we are barraged with a lot of sensory information. The products scream out to us from the shelves with their bright colors and packaging and deals and discounts. But let's turn this whole thing over and change the equation just for fun. Now, let's imagine that when you go to the bread aisle, the shelves are filled with brown paper bags with the generic word bread printed on the bag in big black letters. And the bags are hand-folded at the end and taped shut with packing tape. Now, in the absence of colors and branding differentiation, which brand would you choose? There's only one choice. It's called bread. They're all the same. All the bags are the same, at least on the outside. Okay, now for an added layer of fun, let's add this layer to the story. Imagine the government is in charge of bread production and they tell the bread companies what kind of bread to make, how many loaves to bake each day, and what pan to bake the bread in. After the bread is baked, a truck comes and picks up the bread and pays each baker the same price for each loaf of bread they bake. All bread bakers will make the same amount of bread and they get paid the same amount for each loaf. It's all nice and even and fair. And then the bread is taken to a central warehouse and it's mixed in with all the other bread from all the other factories. And then all that bread gets put into a generic brown paper bag with the word bread printed on it in big black bold letters. And then the bags are folded and taped shut. And then they're randomly distributed to the stores and put on the shelves. Now, nobody knows which factory the bread came from. I mean, after all, bread is bread. Now, in this system, the customer and the store owners do not know which bakery the bread came from. So if the bread is bad, they don't know who to blame. And if the bread is good, 
They don't know how to rebuy it again next time. It's all just random. There's no brand differentiation. So what do you think is going to happen? Will the quality of the bread in this market go up or down? I believe this is the fastest way to kill quality in a market because there's no incentive to improve quality or increase production. From the baker's point of view, say we get paid, we get we get to make a thousand loaves of bread every day, and we get paid a dollar for each loaf, and that's it. What's our motivation as bread bakers? See, there's no chance of getting paid more or increasing the number of loaves we bake. It's all locked in. So why would we ever want to bake better bread or improve the process or innovate, come up with something new and cool? Well, we wouldn't. We couldn't. See, one possible motivation is to work less hours, to spend less time at the factory baking bread and spend more time doing what we like to do, like goofing off. The only motivation is to make our lives easier. If the bread quality is not a factor, we can make shitty bread and nobody will know. And we'll still get paid the same amount with no long-term consequence, either good or bad, with no positive upside and no negative downside. Because bread is bread and nobody knows who makes the good bread and who bakes the shitty bread. What if the same thing happened in the cereal aisle? Just plain brown boxes with the word cereal printed on them in big black letters. No other marks of distinction because cereal is cereal. And there's no way to trace cereal back to the manufacturer. Now, what if we did the same thing with drugs like aspirin? I mean, imagine all aspirin is made in different factories and brought to a central warehouse where it's all mixed together and packaged in a plain bottle that just says, aspirin. Now, what if we did this with baby food and baby formula and shoes and clothes? The only marketing on the pack, only marks on the package would be the size. Small, medium, large. I'm going to go get a shirt. Okay, what size are you going to get? Small, medium, large. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to grab a box. Wow, right? I mean, that would blow you away. And this is why branding matters. Branding tells the customer who made the product. Branding differentiates one loaf of bread and one box of cereal from the others. Branding allows the market to decide which brand to choose based on many factors. Brand differentiation allows the market to choose one brand over another. It allows one brand to charge more money for their product than another. It allows one brand to become the category leader. And it allows another brand to die the death of a skunk on the side of the road. Because we all know, bread is not just bread. And cereal is not cereal either. There's a lot going on inside the bag or the box. And branding helps us differentiate one restaurant from another. See, a brand comes down to the word trust. We buy brands that we trust. We buy brands that do what they say they will do. We buy brands that have a high say-do ratio. I say I'm going to do this, and I actually do it. We like the brands that deliver the customer promise. And we're willing to pay a premium for that trust. So another way to say that is we're willing to pay more money 
for trust. Or trust has a financial value in the market. We hate getting ripped off or taken advantage of. We buy brands that we trust, not because of loyalty, but because of trust. So what happens when there's more than one trustworthy brand? Well, we choose brands based on habit. See, trust is the first benchmark, but habit is the second. For example, what type of toothpaste do you use? And how many years have you used that brand? And really, why do you use that brand? See, most people can't tell you why. They just pick one brand over another. Most people have a thing called brand preference. And that's a whole different thing. I mean, why does one person drink Coke and another prefers Pepsi? Or Budweiser versus Coors? Or Crest versus Colgate? All right, this brings us to thing number three. How do you use branding? Now, let's compare the cereal aisle to your restaurant market. It's a similar thing. Let's consider your city or town. You probably have a lot of national brands, McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's. And then you got sandwich joints like Subway and Jimmy John's and Blimpies. And then quick serve like Chipotle and Panda Express. And then Domino's and Pizza Hut and Papa John's and maybe Applebee's, Olive Garden, Chili's, Red Lobster, Outback, and Texas Roadhouse. You may even have some upscale brands like Capitol Grill, Flemings, and P.F. Chang's. Now, these restaurants are well-known, and they're as well-known as the brands in the cereal aisle. And then you have local restaurants. Now, some of the local restaurants are very well-established brands that stand out in the market, and they've been very successful for many years. Others may be hot, new, trendy restaurants. And then you have places in strip malls or in the downtown area, maybe. And some are nice and bright and clean, and others are dark and dingy. Some are packed every night and hard to get into, while some are empty, and you can just walk right in. The question is, how do local restaurants get noticed and earn a piece of the market? What makes them stand out? Think about this. See, because of marketing and advertising, we all know what the big national brands are because they've told us their unique brand story over and over. We know what we're going to get when we visit them. We can usually trust them to do what they say they will do, at least within a certain margin of error. But what about the little local place? How do we know what they're about? How do we know we can trust them or not? Now that is the $10 million question, isn't it? I suggest that you get in your car or take a walk and look at all the different brands in your market. Take pictures of their storefronts and place them on a table or a wall. And put your restaurant on the wall right next to them and evaluate it like you do the cereal aisle. What is it that separates you from all the other restaurants in your market? This is a great place to start. Now, here's another spin on this. Nike sells sports apparel. So does Champion. Why can Nike charge 25 or 30% more than Champion? Brand preference, that's why. Why do we pay 25% more for an iPhone than any other brand? Why do people pay $5 for a cup of coffee at Starbucks? Maybe it's so they can show up at work and walk around with a cup to signal to their coworkers that they are Starbucks people. See, Starbucks is a prestige brand. But what about Dunkin'? What does that say? Or what about Caribou Coffee? What does that say? 
And what about a plain generic brown cup with the word coffee? Okay, I want to introduce a new word. We talked about it a little bit last week. The word is affordance. Affordance means it's obvious what the thing is to be used for. For example, a hammer is for pounding nails and other things. A knife is for cutting things. A wine key is for opening a bottle of wine. And a chair is for sitting. Now, let's talk about the affordance of some restaurant brands. Now, when I say the name of the brand, you say what you think, okay? Or what they do. Just whatever comes to your mind real quick. Okay, you ready? McDonald's. Burger King. Five Guys. Subway. Jimmy John's. Chipotle. Taco Bell. Pizza Hut. Domino's. Godfather. California Pizza Kitchen. Starbucks. Duncan. Caribou. Folgers. Apple. Google. Amazon. Walmart. Target. Okay. Now, what about your restaurant? What does your brand say to the market? Now, I want you to say the name of your brand and then say what it's used for. What is the affordance of your brand? And I want you to be able to do that just as quickly as you did for the brands I just mentioned. Can you do that? Because if you can do that, that's great. But if you can't, maybe you need some help finding your brand. My name is Peter Harmon. I am the food guru. My goal is to start a restaurant revolution where every restaurant owner who listens to this podcast has the knowledge and information that you need to build a better restaurant and live the life of your dreams. But this requires more than just listening. You have to take action. You have to do something with this information. When you're ready to move forward to build a better restaurant and live the life of your dreams, I can help you get there. I can help you discover what your brand really is and where it fits in your market. I can help you move forward out of the dark and into the light. And all you have to do is come to foodguru.com to get started. When the student is ready, the food guru will appear. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.